there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Ink with me, Matt Valdez. And today, I'm still on the road. I am working out of Dallas Tattoo and Arts Company in downtown Dallas, Texas. So, uh, I love it here. It's a great town, great people. And speaking of great people, I have with today a special guest um, by the name of Mara Pitcher. Say hello. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Uh, today, we are going to kind of do a second pass on this multicolored tree that has a lot of special significance, um, why we did it, and then eventually we went and started talking about all kinds of things and just, it just blossomed, like everything just came to light, and yeah, we... Got to know each other pretty well. Um, I think it was funny that when we first started talking, um, you were kind of a little bit standoffish, if you will. If that's uh, a good way of saying it. A little, a little more reserved. A little more reserved. A little You're more shy. Kind of, kind of like, is this guy for real? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, our, our first session, um, you were super great, but I was like, he was asking questions about, you know, the story behind the tattoo, about me, and, you know, I was like, well, is he just being polite, or does he really want to hear this? So, uh, after, after our session, I got to see Beyond the Ink and see that, you know, Matt's the real deal. And this is just me. I'm crazy. It's just what I do. <laughs> and then I threw a whole lot of jazz his way and was very pleased when he responded and said, that's cool. And so I'm back. And I'm excited to be here. That's, by jazz, she meant, uh, <clears throat> she sent me a, was it, four-page handwritten letter. And I thought, holy crap, like, the significance of a handwritten letter on top of, how many pages was the other? And then there was like a six-page six page, typed... Uh, yeah. Uh, basically, talking about your story. Like, yeah. Yeah, definitely a, a, a very deep backstory. <laughs> yeah. Very, very deep backstory. Um, it was... Uh, it blew me away, really. And I have to say, um, just get it out in the forefront... Um, I was having doubts. Um, I had a lot of, at the time, um, when we were doing Beyond the Ink, and, and it was kind of, it's still in its infant stage, don't get me wrong. But I was having issues of, I don't want to say confidence issues or anything else like that, but I, I wanted to pull the plug. <laughs> no joke. I wanted to pull the plug on Beyond the Ink. I wanted to say, well, I gave it a shot, you know, but in my frustration and in my anger, if you will, I was kind of like, you know, yeah, I put a lot of money into it. Yeah, I, you know, something that I wanted to do. Um, and I just needed something. Like, I was just like, you know what? Screw this. I tried. Whatever. Blah, blah, blah. It's done. Um but then I went to, I, I literally got frustrated, walked my ass over to uh, my mailbox, 
And that's when your letter, or package, I should say, because it had like handwritten letter. It had a 8 by 10 picture of something that you had actually taken a picture of the tree with the monkey wrenches. And yeah. that was pretty damn cool, you know? Um, pretty much because you took it yourself. That was your own... My art. Your art. Yeah. I'm not... I can't draw. Matt's in <laughs> charge of all the drawing. I'm in charge of the drawing. But... But you're in charge of the photography. That photography, that was... That was really cool. And then... But the letter is what did it. And I know a lot of people have heard this story because I've told them this story um, about Mara and her and her story and why it meant so much. Because on that day, that specific day, um, I was just like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, ah, eh, whatever. Nobody really gives a rat's ass. <laughs> that was my that was my uh, professional assessment of what I was doing. And then I read your letter, and it had talked specifically about how Beyond the Ink was like helping you like overcome a few things which we'll get into um and that's something that i had said before um you know with beyond the ink if it helps just one person which is again why i say share subscribe do all that good stuff because you might be able to help one person well mara lives in texas and she specifically referenced uh one of the episodes with keith and to me, I was like, okay, that's a sign. <laughs> like, if that's not a sign, I don't know what it is. So I put my pride away, did all that bullshit, and said, hey, be on the ink. We're still going to do it. So thank you specifically, um, because honestly, without that letter and without that affirmation, I would have said, done. And and it's not like me to to want to quit something like that, but you know, that I'm very passionate about, you know, but I I honestly have to give credit where credit's due because I have, I do have a, a really cool bunch of people that are supportive, that love Beyond the Ink, but then I have some that are not, and it's, it's frustrating, and so it's like, it's easy to, to listen to the, to the negative and to fall on that negative, um, the comments and people, ah, it's not going to do anything. Oh, it's not going to, you're not going to go anywhere or whatever. <clears throat> so, yeah, I think that was that, honestly, I do thank you. It was that extra push. Well, I was just glad that, <laughs> to get a response at all because I was, I was terrified. I almost didn't mail a letter at all because I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to dump this crazy manifesto. <laughs> on this guy that barely knows me and he's gonna be like wow so she's got a whole lot going on um but you know i'm i'm kind of at a place on a self-healing journey and i told myself last year um you know that in my own mind i needed to focus on gratitude and i needed to focus on the positivity that I had in my own life, and I had such an amazing experience with you on the first pass of this tree. It went a hundred times better than I could have ever imagined. <laughs> I had a great time. And I thought, you know, and then I went home and I saw um, the first few episodes of Beyond the Ink. And to the early Beyond the Inkers out there, uh, I'm 
honored, humbled to be following in your footsteps. Um, because it was, it was, it was a really powerful thing, um, to hear other people and what getting tattooed meant to them and how it integrated into their own kind of journey of self-healing and, and self-discovery. Um, cause, cause it's more than just ink on skin for, I think, a lot of us. Um, and... I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I'm, and I'm happy you're here. I mean, just when we talked about it, we were talking uh, the first part of why you got this tree, I thought was like fantastic. Because it's not just any tree. It's a tree with like multicolors from a painting that you had seen. And was it a, who? what was the painting? Uh, so um, I'd wanted a tree tattoo for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, fear, I'm going to pick the wrong thing. I'm going to do, I'm going to do the wrong thing, not having that faith in myself. But I went to, um, last, last year, no, early this year. I'm sorry. No, it is 2020. My bad. (laughs) So last year. Happy new year. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so last year there was a exhibit of, uh, Monet's late work at the Kimball Museum over in Fort Worth here in the DFW Metroplex. And they had this painting that was from a private collection so it would have never been in any kind of you know art book or anything mm-hmm. like that that you would see and it was a, a tree uh, that Monet did late in his life and it was totally different colors um, a lot of times anybody who's into art history art history nerds unite but <laughs> uh, you know most people think of his his bright colorful work and his late work of like lily pads and stuff like that mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. he actually also did a lot of um, really kind of deeper, darker colored willow trees. And willow trees are a symbol of grief, um, historically. Yes. And he had definitely been through some stuff in his lifetime, and they had a lot of those different trees there, including some that were, you know, in some very lucky person's living room that lent them to the museum for that exhibit that just floored me. And I thought, what am I waiting for? Like, I... I just need to do it. And um, I I was kind of going through actually quite a few changes at that particular point in time. Um, I just started a kind of new practice for myself and my self-healing journey with a specific style of journaling called future self-journaling where I answer like seven questions every day Mm -hmm. to design my own future. Uh, There's like affirmation, there's gratitude, um, and there's, you know, it's manifesting what you want to happen in your life, but yeah. putting it down on paper. And so when I met Matt, I was on day 16 of that journey. And it was like, right when I first started doing it, I was like, get this tattoo. So it was like day one <laughs> or two, I started researching, started sending out emails. And it was just by luck that like Matt was in town. Um, I found his work and some of his beautiful trees, beautiful, beautiful work. <laughs> reached out and was like hey um so when you can be in dallas he's like i'm actually here right now and so i came in for the consult and after our consult like i just there were so many things that were like this is the guy just do it and i came in it was my long flowing hair boy good (laughs) looks (laughs) it's 
But seriously, no. <laughs> uh, it, well, actually, you pulled out your phone and you showed these beautiful pictures that you took on a hike with your family. Yes. Um, your beautiful wife and your son, and I think your granddaughter Ava was in. Ava, the, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah we she were, was in the pictures. We were camping. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he had these beautiful pictures, and it was like a genuineness, a genuine appreciation of trees that you can't really fake. If you're a tree person... Yep. You recognize other people when they have that connection with nature. And I could see it all over your face. Oh, yeah. And I was like, okay. And then um, a little later in the conversation, you also showed me your your one tattoo on the inside of your arm about cancer. Yep. And I was like... Fuck cancer. Fuck cancer, for sure. <laughs> um, and I was like, no, this is the guy. We're doing this. And I think I came back, was it like two days later after uh-huh. the consult? Yep. And um, I couldn't be happier with the results. I mean, we're doing a second pass to add more color because the skin yeah. can only take so much in one sitting. But This is true. <laughs> Your skin can only take so much before it's like, okay, what are we doing? Like, like make yeah. up your mind because this is shitty. And, yeah, we didn't want, I didn't want you to go through that and feel crappy the whole night, even though you later told me that you felt crappy. <laughs> I did. I did. Yes. Follow your tattoo artist's instructions. If he says to eat, eat. It's one of those things. They they're tell the you boss. for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um. I want to back it up just a little bit. You okay. know, with our session when we were talking about, you know, um, because like when I do consultations, um, or as a lot of people like to call them, mat consultations, because <laughs> anybody that knows me knows that I like to talk. Um, and so my consultations will take a little bit longer than, you know, than, than normal, <clears throat> which isn't a bad thing because I like to vibe with my client and I'm always saying you have to vibe with your client, <clears throat> excuse me, or your client has to vibe with you because then you're going to get exactly what you, you know, there's no, um, I'm not thinking like oh what if she likes this what if she doesn't like that what if she you know wants this because i already know we discussed it we went through everything and i got to know you but i heard your story about you know um overcoming all that adversity that you'd gone through at such an early age and it really like resonated with me because i'd you know, uh, I know I mentioned a few things, but it wasn't like your ability to overcome the amount of grief and, and tragedy that happened. Yeah. It, to me, was like, oh my, instant connection. Like, yeah. I, I was like, okay, you know, I want to help. Yeah. And I think that tattoos do have a way of helping. They, they're healing. They have, I, I say they have healing properties all the time. I think, I think one of the things that I've, I've learned between watching the episodes of Beyond the Ink and hearing others share, as well as my own experience, mm-hmm. is that so much of life can be so, excuse me, but fucking shitty. <laughs> yeah. And you have no control over any of it, right? You have, you have zero control over if, you know, in terms of cancer, of watching someone suffer, and you're just helpless. And so you're bearing witness to this pain that there's nothing you can do about it. But when you're getting a tattoo, there's pain, but you're in control. Mm -hmm. You're 
it's it has a purpose <laughs> in the end of the day that pain turns into something so beautiful and it stays with you the beauty stays with you right mm -hmm. as opposed to like the loss but the and memories are there right like it's embedded in this art yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's it's like a really cool way of, of taking your power back, of of being able to say, you know what, I can't control everything, but I can control what I'm going to do and how I'm going to feel and how I'm going to respond and how I'm going to keep moving forward. Yeah. Um, and so that's part of what this tree is for me because um, actually when I came in, it was your idea to make it the tree. The tree. The tree. Well, cause I didn't even think that was possible. Because um, I just came in saying, <laughs> I want a watercolored tree. That was like my, my base thing. And, yeah. and you started asking me questions like, okay, well, tell me a little bit about what's going on in your life right now. Mm -hmm. and that's when I said, I'm getting married. Um, mm -hmm. Getting married this April. And I was like, we're actually getting married under a tree. And you're like, really? That's pretty cool. Under a willow tree. Well, <laughs> it's actually an oak tree. Oh, it's an oak. It's a, an that's oak right. It's, it's an oak. That's right. Um, but... I was like, yeah, we're actually getting married under this big, huge, massive, massive tree. And you're like, really? And I pull out a picture. You're like, oh, that would be a cool tattoo. And yeah. so that. I was that, like, let's use this one. Because <laughs> I was just like willing to just go with a tree. I just knew I needed a tree on me to ground me. I needed um, the tree. The tree. The tree. The tree. <laughs> and so uh, you came back with this super cool design with like the branches like very clearly, distinctly, like, the tree that we're getting married under, mm -hmm. um, me and my fiancé, Mark, and it it really, like, just tied everything together for me and my pr particular journey right now of, like, there's so much to look forward to. Like, Absolutely. I can still carry the past with me, but the, the future is bright. Yes. And um, it grounds me, that moving forward, that I, I have things to look forward to yeah beautiful things beautiful things. like you can find you said you know beauty within that tragedy and and within what we think is that pain and we think is that just not you know the darkness that yeah. that tunnel that you look that you're in and you're just like god i'm consumed by just it just seems like that never-ending darkness where you just kind of like. How do I get out? A lot of times, it's it. It's in the stillness of nature that I find any peace whatsoever, which was why I knew a tree was what I needed mm -hmm. for the times where I can't even bring myself to go outside. When I'm like, you know, because you have that argue with your argument with yourself, where you're like, I know this will make me feel better, but I don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got beautiful trees that I could just walk outside and go visit, but that involves getting off the couch. So I'm like, well, I'll have a tree with me on the couch <laughs> for those days. For those days where I'm just like, you know. For those days when I can't pep talk myself out of it. Because it happens. There's, you know, not yeah. every day is the best day, but you've got to just keep putting one foot in front of the other. You know, I used to say this all the time. It's super cliche. I used to say every day above ground is a great day until I stopped believing that. And I was like, when did I stop believing that? When did I stop, you know, thinking that way and and really, truly believing that? So, yeah, it was kind of a, kind of a weird 
situation, you know? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you just don't want to get out of bed. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you just want to stay locked in your comfort zone, you know? And, um, but you can't. You gotta, you have to get up and you have to persevere. <laughs> you know, you just, you, you have to. Life keeps moving whether you want it to or not. Exactly. I learned that too a lot. And, you know, but I digress. Um, so how did you meet Mark? I mean, how was... We definitely are untraditional. Um, so my fiancé and my fiancé Mark and I, we met online. That's a cliche. But we met <laughs> online in um, an online cancer spouse forum. So Mark and I were both married to spouses who had cancer. And, um, you know, if you're under 18, there's a lot of great resources for pediatric cancer. And then, you know, most of the time, people are, at least in their 50s or older, um, so there's kind of this, like, void, almost, of people between, like, 20 and 50 mm -hmm. when you're dealing with cancer. Like, well, how do you get through every day when you're balancing, you know, working or going to school or if you've got kids and all the fun joys of dealing yeah. with cancer? Um, and so there was, it's unfortunately no longer, but there was this uh, forum called Young Cancer Spouses. And, you know, my late husband, Patrick, um, he had a, an operable brain tumor that we, you know, I mean, he did the core of the fighting. I was the main support, but um, we were on that journey for quite some time. And in his last year before he passed, um, you know, we were on our... I think fourth chemo at the time, it was three years in to chemo, it was the eighth year of struggle, and I just felt like I needed some support, I needed something, because trying to figure it all out on my own was hard. Yeah. So I found this forum. To say the least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I basically jumped into being the primary caregiver to... A cancer patient at 18. Because you knew Patrick. Patrick was my high school sweetheart. Yeah, he was the, that was the guy. That, that was, was the guy. Your... He, you know, um, he actually had his cancer before I met him. Mm -hmm. But um, he was in a period of remission. Um, he'd done um, a ton of radiation and his tumor had stabilized. And when I met him, you know, it's not like, you know, you meet somebody on the street and you're like, hey, by the way, do you have cancer? <laughs> by the way, I have a brain tumor. Yeah. Sorry. You it doesn't know? always yeah. come up right away. And you know how love is. I mean, you, yeah. it's not, you, love is love. And so, you know, it's like, oh, by the way, I have a brain tumor. Like, oh, shit, that's, that's a bummer, but you're pretty awesome. So yeah. before you knew it, we were, we were a thing. Um, but so by 2009, um, I was tired. I was really tired, and we were having some complications and stuff where I needed a place to even ask questions and to feel a little less alone. Mm -hmm. And so I found the forum, and uh, there were some just incredible stories out there because, you know, you always feel like you're the only person struggling, and then you start to hear other people share, just like yeah. with Beyond the Ink. And you're reminded of, like, holy crap, I'm not alone. Like, I'm not there's alone. so many other people in the suck with me. Yeah. Um, 
And Mark was one of those people. His story just, like, jumped off the page and touched my heart. I can still remember sitting in my desk at work um, on my lunch break, uh, eating at my desk and and reading his story and just being, like, blown away. Because his wife actually had four different kinds of cancers in their marriage. So it was like, and he was a um, Navy corpsman, so Mm -hmm. he had a medical background, and I had used to work in a animal hospital so i had a little bit of a medical background so Mm -hmm. like there were parallels to his story that off the bat was just like wow this guy is fascinating yeah um but so after patrick passed i sent a message out to like i don't know maybe like eight people who their stories had just touched my heart so deeply that i was like you know i'm obviously not going to keep logging into the boards now yeah, that, you're like, now that Patrick passed, but I, I wanted I'm going to go now. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to, you know, instead of just evaporate, like ghosting, yeah. like for this handful of people, I want to wish them good luck. Yeah. And so I sent a message to Mark, and I actually sent the message to Mark the night before his wife passed. So oh, he wow. responded about two weeks later, and he was like, my wife also just passed, and I'll also be leaving the boards. Now, I was still oh, living man. in... Um, Chicago at that time, because I'm born and raised south side of Chicago, <laughs> um, and Mark is a, you know, born and raised Texan, and so we just started kind of exchanging emails, and then um, we started talking on the phone a little bit, because mm-hmm. we both were kind of at this fresh sp- spot of grief where we were kind of navigating stuff that it was nice to have someone else to talk to to go, like, hey, am I losing my mind? Is this normal? Do you wake up feeling like this? Because <laughs> yeah. I do. <laughs> um, and that friendship just kind of grew. And here I am 10 years later. Uh, I eventually... Because I remember you saying, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I remember you saying, I'm not getting married. I'm not no. Gonna, I'm not going to do it. Neither yeah. of us. Yeah, you guys both said, no. I'll never get married again. Yeah, we both were pretty... I mean, <laughs> that loss was so profound it was like why in the world would i ever sign up for that again are you kidding it me? makes sense it makes that's sense. crazy town yeah um but at the same time like i don't know it, it, we were together for like five years and he popped the question and when i say it was the biggest surprise of my life like it's <laughs> an understatement I, yeah, yeah super under, well i just stood there silently for a little bit like i'm usually the person that always has an answer for everything i'm the planner. answer was nope. <laughs> well, no, for me, it was just the answer was like, oh, wait, shit. holy crap, this is happening. Like, by the time my brain caught up, he's like, uh, you're not saying anything. And I'm like, oh, uh, you know, just like awkwardly uh, standing there. Yeah. Um, so did he get on one knee? Did he, he do did. like the whole, Well, oh. we actually, um, he did it the first night that we were in Rome. So mm-hmm. I'd never been to Europe. Um, and he was like, let's take a trip to Europe. I'm like, well, shit, okay, that sounds amazing. So he had it. Oh, he had this planned, like, so far in advance, but he never let on (laughs) nothing. So that first night, he was actually going to do it at the the Pantheon. Mm -hmm. But um, around that area around the Pantheon, there's a lot of, like, begging, and and it was very, very crowded, and he felt like it kind of had some... It was a little bit smelly, so he was like, "Just uh, wasn't the right, just wasn't the right time, more than the right vibe." Yeah, there. yeah. Well, because the he was like, "Well, 
I was going to do it at the Pantheon because you know that's never going to change. Like, you never have to worry about it being turned into a Burger King or anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Remember when we got married here at the Burger King? Yeah. <laughs> or proposed? Yeah. That'd be funny. That would be... <laughs> well, because that happens, right? You go it to does. dinner at a nice place, and then years <laughs> later, it's like, and now it's a KFC or yeah. <laughs> whatever. So he's like, oh, man, it was going to be timeless. He's like, but, there, you know, it wasn't the right moment. And yeah. so he waited until... Um, we got back to our like hotel. Yeah. Um, after our first day, and we just kind of like sitting and relaxing out on the there was like a patio. Mm-hmm. And he got down on one knee, and like he got down on the knee, and I kind of was like, "What is he didn't, doing?" Didn't really hit you. Like. No. And then he he said it, and it was like my brain still was like, "No, this is happening." <laughs> and so I just silently was like, "And <laughs> I, of course I said yes," but um. Technically, that was five years ago. We've, yeah. We still were like, we've done this once. We're not rushing. Yeah, um, I remember you were saying, because you just out the house. Yeah. Right? You had just, cause, and you guys are embarking on this huge fixer-upper. You've yeah. got a lot of stuff going on. And then you're like, and you're going to drop this on me like yeah. right now. But that's like. Because we, we, uh, we bought this. Fixer uppers an understatement. Uh, we bought this house. <laughs> You're all money. The no. bank said it was uninhabitable. Oh, We've wow. We've been working on it for seven years. And um, we were kind of at a phase where it was, eh, it, it, it still needed work. Mm-hmm. But I also had just went back, decided to go back to get a college degree. Because, you know, um, with Patrick, um, I we met. We were high school sweethearts. Um, I went to community college, and I thought I was going to go and get, like, a full associate's degree, but his his condition, the way that it was at that moment, I really needed to be the breadwinner for our family. Yeah. And I was cool with that. Yeah. Um, but so I did some, like, career certifications. I got certified as a receptionist, certified in, like, some administrative stuff, and I just went to work. Mm-hmm. And between work and chemo, um, I, I tried going to school as well, but it just was something I had to give, you know. Um, it was too hard to juggle it all, so I put school off. And so um, it was the semester, it was like that year when Mark proposed that I was like, you know what, I'm going to go back to school. Mm-hmm. And so I went and signed up at the local community college, and I was like, you know, I'd been out of, I hadn't been in a classroom for eight years, so I was terrified. I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. So I just signed up for like one class. Because I was like, man, if I fell out of a full load, I'm really going to embarrass myself. You're like, I'm not going to recover from that. <laughs> yeah. And so I went, I went back to school. And I don't know, should I, should I sidetrack for a second about the school part? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. It's the story. It's, 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 the, it's part of the story. It's part of your story, yeah. you know? But so um, I finished up my associate's degree at the community college, and I was I was that person who had I did it with a 4.0. I was in the you know the honor society. I was doing like the internships. I was doing like all the stuff that they tell you to do. All the extracurricular. All the extracurriculars. Yep. <laughs> and um, yeah, I was I was doing it for myself and. I, and then, you know, came time to finish the two-year part. I was like, cool, well, you know, I'm going to work really hard because I wanted to be independent when I did it. I didn't yeah. want to rely on, um, you know, Mark was working. 
but I didn't want him to pay for my schooling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, man, if I can get scholarships to finish out my four-year, that'd be awesome. And I, you know, I didn't have super big aspirations. I just wanted to get a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I finished my two-year degree, and I put in um, Southern Methodist University is a pretty big school here in Texas, mm-hmm. and they give out ten transfer scholarships to community college students a year. Oh, nice. And I won one of those transfer scholarships. Oh, wow. Um, so I was able to go to SMU on a completely fully paid ride. And then uh, when I got to SMU, I decided to pedal faster. Um, it made me a little crazy, but <laughs> I pedaled really hard, and I kicked some ass. I graduated from SMU with a 4.0. I won... Abroad scholarships. I got to go study art history in Italy. I oh, got to, nice. I got to go live at a dorm in Oxford, a 400-year-old dorm, which is quite charming. The plumbing is amazing when it's 400 years old. <laughs> uh, no, Do you have but one really, of those little, little strings, <laughs> little string toilets. You know where? I'm done. <laughs> those are. It, it was. Uh, it was. It was a interesting place. Uh, to say the least. To say the least. <laughs> it. It was very challenging. I, Oxford was probably one of the hardest things I ever did. Um, Turn you just a little bit. Yep. While I was there, I had a tooth die, which oh, anyone shit. who's ever had a tooth die slowly is a very painful thing. Um, and I'll backtrack in a minute, but I've got like a tooth thing. Teeth are kind of like my my kryptonite. Um, so getting through Oxford and keeping my 4.0 was yeah. like the ultimate test. And because I was, you know, however many thousands of miles away across the pond, um, you know, I had no support system immediately around me. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't lean on mom or dad or brother or Mark or anybody. Yeah. Um, it was me. And to yeah. get through that on my own really was empowering, but also really challenging um but so yeah i finished i i god i hate tooth pain oh any no i'd rather be kicked square on in the you know than deal with mouth pain like that because there's nothing you can do no and it hurts your soul (laughs) it does it is not nerve pain it's like that crushing oh yeah um, I went to like a dentist in Oxford and they were like, yeah, you've got like a sinus infection. You'll be fine. They gave me some like antibiotics or whatever. It was not. Oh, um, wow. I got back and within a week of being back, I had a full root canal. Um, and the guy was like, yeah, no, that your tooth was dying. There, it was never going to get better. I'm so sorry. I wish you'd called me because I know people in England that oh, I could have referred you to. So it was pretty, pretty brutal. Ouch. Um, but I got through it. I graduated from SMU with my 4.0. I won. Um, so our like, I, I was a history major, mm-hmm. and the history department has like three major awards, and I won two out of three. Very so cool. I did pretty good. Um, my junior thesis was considered like the the award for like the best thesis. What did so you What did you write it on? I actually wrote it on um, the Irish famine. Um, so <laughs> I, I was really interested based on my own personal journey in the concept of transgenerational trauma. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to dig deeper as someone of Irish heritage to understand, um, you know, what happened. Mm-hmm. 
And so um, I did quite a bit of research. Now most people, if the Irish famine is something you're interested in, didn't actually die of starving to death. They died of disease because of a weakened immune system by not having enough, enough food. nourishment. Right. Right. So most of them died of like um, typhus, the mm -hmm. type of fever that spread through lice. And so what happened was they would bring the poorest people together at these work camps where lice would spread and then the fevers would spread. So in oh, wow. gathering the people together in these work camps where essentially people were forced to work for little tiny bits of food, like sometimes just breaking rocks. It was like total menial labor. It was awful. Oh, wow. that, they were like epicenters of disease. Um, and when I did my own genealogy, you know, I'd trace back, like, on three different sides of my family, people came over because of the famine. And I actually found um, one of the, like, kind of epicenters where these work camps were. They were around, you know, the island, but mm -hmm. my family lived in one of the towns where those work camps were. So they would have seen the devastation daily and oh, been man. a part of that. So it was empowering for me to be able to do the research to find um, a positive. Because um, <laughs> in my research, I found this, I identified through looking through parliamentary records that there was a network of Irish and English doctors who were basically lobbying parliament, asking for specific changes in funding to be able to improve the conditions for the poor. And... I mean, Parliament didn't listen, obviously. That's why, yeah. you know, over a million people died. But um, to know, you know, call me cliche, I'm going to quote Mr. Rogers, but you always got to look for the helpers. You got to look for the positive. And there were people, they were trying. They were giving their all. And so that was what my research identified was um, the way that these doctors were trying to network in, you know, 1860. So mm -hmm. it wasn't exactly Twitter. It's a little more <laughs> challenging. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they, they were, they were, they were working to try and make a difference and, you know, as shitty as life can get sometimes, you've always got to look for those people, people working to make they're a there. difference. Cause they're there. They're but, behind the scenes. But you just don't see them because you're so like, sometimes just, you know, you've got your blinders on and you know, someone's out there, someone's got that, you know, like for you, if it was Mark, you know, and Mark was there, Mark was like, Hey. Let me help you. You can help me. I help you. It's kind of like you guys. Yeah. Your paths just. Like what just, you're doing with Beyond Ink. It's like, it oh, just it's crossed a and just now you guys are on a path together. And I think that happens. I think that happens a lot, but we're stubborn as, you know, human beings and society will say, you know, <clears throat> oh, don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, there's, like you said, conventional ways of doing things and there's non-conventional ways of doing things. I happen to listen to my gut, <laughs> you yeah. know, and. Oh, well, when I was moving down you know? here, my family, talk about unconventional, they were like, so I, I packed up my car with <laughs> just, I mean, literally, I, I've got a 2008 Hyundai Elantra. It's not a big car. I packed it to the brim and I said, I'm going to go down to Texas and this, this friend, because we were friends at that point, mm -hmm. um, he had a house, and in, after Patrick died, sorry, backtrack two seconds, um, my life was like a bad country song, because I lost my husband, and then within five weeks, our cat, 
also died of cancer, and it was it was not good. Um, and then I lost my job because 2009, the recession. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I was in a, a pretty bad place, and Mark invited me down for a visit, and the sun was shining here. Um, you know, DFW wasn't nearly hit by the recession in the same way, so mm-hmm. there was people were in a great mood here. Like, I remember joking with him and being like, why is everybody so happy here? Like, Why are y'all so, so happy? Yeah, you guys are so upbeat. It's kind of creeping me out. So, you're in school. You write your thesis. You get top honors for your thesis. And how did... Okay, so you were... So, were you already talking... You guys, you and Mark were kind of dating I guess you could say or for lack oh, yeah. of better terms you were so when I was in school Mark was my he was my everything he was my copy editor he was my oh, he nice. helped keep me sane um he, he actually he helped a lot because as a as a high school dropout from Chicago public schools uh being thrown into the mix with you know Southern Methodist University is kind of known for having kids that were from more affluent backgrounds that went to boarding schools. And mm-hmm. um, I definitely felt like a fish out of water. Okay. Um, as an older returning student, I had a few things going for me in that, you know, I just had more time to practice uh, before going back. But uh, Mark was was really great at sometimes being able to harness me in and help me with grammar Kinda. things that I didn't, I, I wouldn't have caught on my own. Yeah. Um, so he was your, he was your, like you said, copy or uh, your proofread. Yeah, he proof. was my. Oh, he was my copy editor. That's I would cool. make the sandwiches while he would review my <laughs> my best attempt and go, okay, so I like this, but the, you know, this is you got. Uh, I'm gonna throw out there for Mark. Uh, there's a dangling modifier here. I'd be like, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Can you break it down for those of us who are grammatically challenged? <laughs> um, but so no, he was awesome. And the whole time, right, while we were in school, um, if we weren't doing something for the house, it was talking about what we were going to do for the house because it's been an ongoing thing for the last seven years. Mm-hmm. And um, we're actually in, like, the final phase of our renovations right now. But, you know, just like any renovation, it's behind schedule. <laughs> yes, yes. We thought we would be moving in on Thursday, but uh, we're probably going to be living in a hotel for another three weeks. Which is crazy. I'm going to take it, though, because when this is done, like, it's done. And compared to when we bought it, like, I, I, I'm going to just, I need to work <laughs> on my patience. And I remember you saying, oh, yeah, they said it was uninhabitable. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, yeah, we why would you take that on? We couldn't actually do, a, like, you know, when you buy a house, right, you do it with, like, a standard mortgage versus, like, when you buy a car, it's a different structure of a loan. Yeah. The bank, we had to buy it under a different structure of a loan because they were like, this house is so bad. Like, we <laughs> don't understand why you want it. Because um, it, it was. It was in really rough shape. Um, I joke that we got about ten grand in equity just when we ripped the carpets out because it helped <laughs> with the odor so much. Oh. It was a so like the the people that owned it, um, it was a father and three sons were living there. Mm-hmm. It was a divorce, and she went to go live with the preacher and left the boys behind with their dad to finish out high school. What now? But they all smoked <laughs> in the house oh, and no. they just trashed it for like five years straight. So by the time we got there, I mean it. It smelled pretty ripe. 
you. Um, but it's it's a beautiful, beautiful. I mean, well, because it's got some <laughs> amazing trees. Yeah, and, that's and, literally the reason we bought it. Actually, was because yeah. there were these two ginormous, beautiful trees out front. That I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, I can rebuild a house, but I can't build a tree. So we can just gut it. That's cool. And thankfully, Mark, you know, was on trusted board. me and said, okay, sure, let's do this. Um, I know there were times where he probably was like, wow, this was her idea. This was a bad <laughs> idea. But, <laughs> he but, was probably like, damn it, what did I get myself into? <laughs> for sure. Yeah, after like the fifth trip to Home Depot that week, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, but I know when it's done, it's going to be... A home. It Yeah. It's our forever home. We joke yeah. about we're gonna be buried in the backyard. <laughs> Under one of the one of those big ass trees. Yep. That's funny. So now that you're <clears throat> you're done with college. Right? You're done with school, you're done mm-hmm. with I graduated in last May. Uh, or not last May, sorry, we're in twenty twenty. So yeah. I graduated May of twenty eighteen. And then I worked at um the school, I worked uh, in the archives at the library for a little while because uh, that was kind of my jam, um, was <laughs> library science. I was thinking I was going to go for a master's and continue my academic career. But during my time while I was in school, um, I was really hurting myself. I was, I was, um, I was suffering. Um, on the outside, I know uh, to my friends and family that are probably going to watch this, you know, it looked like I had it all, that it was so perfect. But behind the scenes, I was miserable. Um, I was having night terrors. I cracked several of my own teeth, actually, from clenching my jaw so hard from the stress. Um, now, was that stress from school? Was it stress from just... A little bit of everything. Um, <clears throat> so, like, this is a, potentially a controversial topic, but... Mm-hmm. Um, so, w- when you hear about PTSD, people don't typically crack and start really hurting and suffering Mm -hmm. while they're still in a war zone, right? It's when you get home and when things are safe that you crack and all of a sudden everything falls apart, right? That's what you see typically when you deal with like veterans with combat-related PTSD. Mm -hmm. In the civilian world, it's a little more blurry. Um, So for me, when I won SMU and... Like, shortly after I got there, I started to crack because I knew that I was going to be safe, that I'd always be employable, that I was going to have a really good college degree from an incredible university that was well-respected. Yeah. And that I wasn't going to have to, you know... Really try hard to... I wasn't going to be cleaning dog kennels the rest of my life for below minimum wage, getting paid under the table. I wasn't... Nobody was sick. Um, you know, after years of being the primary caregiver where, you know, you have someone who's literally dying, depending on you to put bread on the table to know, not only do I not have necessarily anyone depending on me in that way, but I have all of the resources that I need to take care of myself and someone else if they were to get sick. Yeah. That sense of safety was my coming home and I cracked and I, I really started to suffer. I had a couple trips to the ER. I one day just completely lost consciousness, blacked out, had to ride in an ambulance to the hospital because, you know, 
you, you hit the floor and you black out, it's good to figure out why. And they didn't really have an explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was Mark as a retired Navy corpsman who came to me and was like, you know, um, I kind of wonder if maybe some of the different struggles that you're having are PTSD. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, brought me some literature from <coughs> anyone who is struggling. I highly recommend um, checking out Pete Walker or Peter Levine. Or Dr. Nicole Opera, she's the at the holistic psychologist on Instagram. All really great resources to help you understand if you feel like you've had severe trauma in your life, and there are things that maybe you can't quite put your finger on on how something's affecting you, um, or why, to, or why. Um, all all great um, sources of information um, that have helped me to be able to better understand myself. So, um, and I think what, I think what I'll do is, um, I'll put a link below of like some Instagram things that you can take a look as well. Um, in case we just, we don't have to rewind and, you know, (laughs) yeah, and just do all that. I'm old. So, you know, Hey, I'll rewind shit, whatever. But yeah, we'll put links down below. Yeah. Give you an idea. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I feel like it is kind of a buzzword right now in society. You hear people talk about triggered or or about PTSD, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, while we're working to end the stigma about it, it also creates kind of a blurry line of like, oh, well, is that really PTSD? Is it a military thing? Is, is it, it only a military everyday thing? thing? Yeah, no. um, and there, you know, there's times even I struggle with, like, I feel like I almost have to qualify it, um, which I'm happy to. Uh, and I'm sure Matt, after reading all my jazz, would be like, "No, I think that sounds legit." I'd say, I'd say, what you've gone through, you know, with with such a great, and I say great is in enormous loss. And again, you were what, 22? Or so I was 24 when 24. Patrick died, but Patrick was actually the third really close family member that I'd lost to battles with cancer. Um, my my first real loss wasn't cancer-related at all. My biological dad um, died at, when I was four months old oh, and wow. left me and my mom um, not in the greatest of situations. Mm-hmm. Now, um, that was in Chicago? Or yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So my birth dad was a Chicago police officer, and, um, you know, uh, a lot of police officers struggle with alcoholism and addiction, and he was no different. And um, he had a massive heart attack at 30. And I know that a major contributing factor to that was alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my mom and I were, you know, she was 26. I was four months old. And we were on our own. Um, And it was was rough. And I'm not going to lie. Thankfully, you know, my mom's mom, um, my nana, she stepped in, and she was a huge, really positive influence in my life. She was like a second mom in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, she was a really big part of my life. Well, when she was, um, when I was 11, she died of cancer, and she'd had a pretty gruesome battle. And we, my mom and I, like, lived with her um, the last couple months. So it was really up front and center. You and, saw, yeah, you were already oh, yeah. traumatized I by watched that. Oh, yeah, I watched her fall into a coma when I was 11. So um, the, you know, silver lining of that was that it trained me because I, I literally, from such a young age, had training in what are the kinds of questions you ask when you go to an oncology appointment? 
Yeah. What are the kinds of of um, reminders that you need to make sure that you don't screw up on a medication schedule? Um, all those things kind of came into play with Patrick. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, um, aside from my Nana, um, tragedy struck our family again. My uh, cousin, who I was extremely close with because she was the only child I ever knew that yeah. had a close relationship with my birth father. Mm-hmm. She was about seven years older than me. Um, she, at the age of 19, died of cancer, a short battle with uh, osteogenic sarcoma, a form of a bone cancer. Oh, Jesus. Um, so our, our family had endured a lot. So when I met Patrick, you know, um, he's like, by the way, you know, I have cancer. And, and I know like, he, he expected me to run. True. Just like a lot of people had when he would tell them. But I was like, okay, well, what kind? You know, like, instead I responded <laughs> with a variety of questions. Of, like, what stage? Yeah. You know, like, what, 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 other, what other 18-year-old person do you know that would, like, respond with those kinds of questions? So, True. you know, we... It, I, I could view it as, like, oh, God, why me again? But I could also view it as, like, well, it should have been me. Because I, I was equipped. I was... You knew. I was yeah. able to handle it. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know very many 19-year-olds who are like, okay, it's time for me to go off and be the, the supporter and coordinate how we're going to get to chemo. Like, okay, let's do it. Um, and we did it. And we, we did. We had a, a great life together. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity that I had to be there with him while he fought. Be there for him. To be there know? for him, yeah. yeah. I mean, I wish I could have given him more than what I gave him. I gave him my best. But there's I always just... that selfish, not selfish, meaning like, ah, oh, you know, it's that, it's that, you know, you can call it survivor's guilt. You can call oh, it, yeah. there's so many different names for it. But like, when you, we're selfish by nature, we want every minute with that person. We want one more minute with that person. We want, you know, it's just sometimes you can have that if you're lucky and sometimes you just can't you just and then you get pissed off and we don't want to accept it and that's that the whole roller coaster and that, oh it is a roller coaster they're like oh it's five stages of grief five what five times a thousand like what are you yeah. talking about five you well, know and as soon um, as you think you're done with a stage it's like by the way <laughs> yeah there's like there's <laughs> like really. fine fine print that you have to read to and, and, you do, and you don't really get over it like you never no will get over you know something and yeah. it's not about even <clears throat> people will say like oh well you know it'll get better it's not that it really changes it's just that the longer you live with it, the more techniques you find to be able to ha- carry it with you. It doesn't feel as heavy because, you know, it's just like going to the gym, right? You, you yeah. build up, you build up like that strength to be able to say, you know what, this hurts and it sucks, but yeah. it's mine to carry and I'm going to keep carrying it. Uh, and you just get better leverage on it over time. It's not that it really gets better per It's se. almost like you get that callus and you build it mm-hmm. and you build that callus that is like, I don't feel it anymore. I'm okay. Like, getting tattooed. First 20 minutes suck, and then you kind of get used to it. And you're like, or, oh, hey, there's that needle on my skin, but... Yeah. Mm. Hmm, thanks, Matt. <laughs> no, I, I... 
No, I, I, I always find it interesting when, like, people are like, so, like, when are you going to move on? It's like, well, it's not that you move on. It's that you have to keep moving forward because life forces you to. But, you know, you do have a choice in how, how you know, much you let it affect your, your day-to-day on, on how you choose to frame it. And so that's yeah. why I've really tried to focus on the gratitude of, like, how lucky am I to, to meet Matt Valdez? No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> I am, though. But how lucky am I to be on, like, a journey? Because, you know, like, if, if I hadn't unfortunately lost Pat, I wouldn't have met Mark. If I hadn't Correct. met Mark, I wouldn't have come to Texas. If I hadn't come to Texas, I wouldn't have met you. Correct. Um, it, I, I, I refrain from saying everything happens for a reason because I feel like that's kind of a cop-out. But I choose to focus on gratitude for all the good. Now, when you when did you learn? That, I mean, as far as these gratitude and and self, you know. So, um, after, so I think we were talking earlier that I finished school, and yep. that's when I I I was gonna go for my master's. Um, I had really big ambitions academically, and I I had a lot of the resources that I could have done it. But my health was really in the shitter. Um, mm-hmm. I have autoimmune thyroid disease that I've struggled with for a really long time, and it was totally out of control. I was having all these different symptoms, and I looked in the mirror and I was like, "As long as I'm pursuing these academic goals, I'm gonna put myself last. I'm mm-hmm. gonna just keep quote unquote pushing through it, which means yeah. hurting myself." Yep. So I I walked away from my academic career. And I walked into Al-Anon. I joined Al-Anon because I understood that I needed to heal from the loss of my father. Um, You know, when when you lose someone when you're an adult, it's, I'm not saying it's harder or easier, it's just different. Um, When you're four months old, grief is always there, but it doesn't mean that it's processed. And I think what happened for me was that a lot of grief got literally trapped in my body, which is a thing. It's a thing that trauma can store itself in your body, which is part of the work of, of like people like Peter Levine and uh, Bessel van der Kolk with uh, Body Keeps the Score is a great resource that we can link to, too. Um, I, think, I think, too, you know, when you're that young and you don't know what you're supposed to have, you know, so you start to see, you know, the people around you have a dad. The kids at school have a dad. And you're just like, well, shit, why don't I have a dad? And that triggers even more thoughts. Oh, yeah. And that makes you go down those rabbit holes of, like, you know, you don't know what alcoholism at No. as a young child, you know. And I'm sure your mom was probably like, Hey, we don't want to talk about that as much. You know, like it's not a dinner time conversation that you... Well, and nobody you, really does, which no. was one of the things that I thought was fascinating when I met you that we earlier were saying, you know, oh, you were kind of reserved because well, Matt would ask me a question. And I'm like, nobody really wants to hear about this stuff, right? Like when you're sure. out yeah. out somewhere and someone says, oh, how did you meet your spouse? And I go, we met on a cancer spouse forum. Nine times out of ten, there's a look of complete horror of, oh, oh God, how shit. long is this conversation going to last? <laughs> yes. or, or, what did I ask? Why did I ask that question? Yeah. And, damn, there's going to be a long answer. And, you know what? Fuck them if they can't take it. <laughs> yeah. If they can't, you know. So, 
Al-Anon. I, again, when in your letter, I was under the impression that it was something that, you know, again, you had, was, you know, maybe I misunderstood or didn't comprehend it as much as I thought I did um, by thinking that you were the one that was struggling with almost, I want to say substance abuse, but it was like, oh, Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, you, you hear... Yeah. Um, I think that's maybe what I made that correlation, but what, what is the difference and what is, So, Alamon is really for anyone who has a loved one that has alcoholism or addiction and because, right, alcoholism, even if you're not the one drinking, you're still affected by it. Yes. It's trying to give people the tools to be able to heal from those effects so that you can find peace and serenity for yourself mm-hmm. whether the person you love is drinking or not so okay. um it's kind of learning to focus on yourself and not get mixed up in trying to fix an alcoholic because you can't you can't control their drinking you're not the reason that they drink because ultimately whatever we do we're not doing it because of someone else we're doing it because of ourselves right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um how like did so, you how did you walk through those doors? I mean, what made you say, well, "Hey, I, I'm gonna go," and and why? Yeah, what was the? I knew that something was so wrong. I was hurting so bad, and I I really had run out of ideas of how to fix it on my own. Okay. And so I felt like I felt so alone. Like I was like, "Oh God, I'm the only person hurting." And I reached out to a friend because. While I was in school, you know, um, I'd go and I'd talk to my doctor and say, you know, like, oh, I'm struggling, and they'd give me prescriptions. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other dangerous uh, wormhole. Which I can't stand with. Here, take this pill. There you go. Done. That's just, why? You know, there's so many other natural ways you can handle, you know. Stress. Stress, yeah. yeah. Oh, no. I mean, I was... There was a point in time where I was on 15 pills a day. Jesus. Um, and I was about 75 pounds heavier. Um, and a large part of that was because of the prescription medication because no one wanted to talk about the root of the problems. They wanted to give me something to help they just want to cover little, the symptoms. Yeah, a little Band-Aid on it. And, right. And, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I was labeled with depression, with anxiety, with uh, mood disorder, which, yeah, you're going to be moody if, if <laughs> yeah, you're... Yeah, if you're overweight, if you're, you know, not happy if, with yourself, yeah. Yeah. Nobody was, like, giving me tools on, like, how do I just work on fixing me instead of felling a pill keeper? Um, yeah. And I knew that... Pills weren't going to fix it. I knew that pushing myself and ignoring what I was feeling wasn't going to fix it. So I went to Elmon, and um, I also went and I found a trauma specialist too. And I did um, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is basically trying to get to the root of your thinking process to find like a core belief that you need to change so like a example of a core belief might be the idea that I'm not lovable and then working on coaching yourself and recognizing in your thought patterns okay but I am lovable so 
why am I jumping to, so it's like breaking down your thoughts and retraining yeah. yourself to be more positive. Okay. Or to challenge a negative belief, like I'm not worthy of respect or I, I'm know, not good enough. I'm not good enough, yeah. etc. Um, and so I did that for a while. And then I also did EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing, mm-hmm. where you go and it's, it's pretty grueling. Um, you go and you talk about all of the absolute worst moments of your life. You start with like the 10, which is the absolute worst. Then you go to the nines. Then you go to the eights. Like it's, it's rough. And while you're verbally talking about it and thinking about it, you're listening to a series of beeps and watching flashing lights and holding sensors in your hands that vibrate. And essentially in bringing your trauma to the surface, Okay. Um, these other things that are in tandem going on while you're doing it allows you to free its grip on you of where you have it stored before. Because what can happen is when you're going through trauma, things can get stored in the wrong place. And that's why you feel like you can never get past it. Because yeah. it's literally stuck somewhere that it's not supposed to be. So the idea of uh, EMDR therapy is it allows you to free it from where it's trapped and put it back in its rightful place so that it doesn't um, affect your day-to-day life in ways that are unintended. Okay. And so um, I did the CBT, I did the EMDR, and then I knew that long-term, right, like I wasn't going to look at flashing lights forever. Um, That's not sustainable. Um, And so I turned, ironically, to Instagram, and I found... Um, as I mentioned before, at the holistic psychologist and her concept of future self journaling, mm-hmm. um, and I, I started to. Um, I also found aerials. Um, aerials. I found an aerial studio, and by aerials I mean pole, which I know also a taboo thing, um, and silks. So like Cirque du Soleil. Yeah. Um, so it's like a gym, but um, with silks and pole and some really incredible teachers and I really upped my fitness game because you know I'd already lost um by the time I found Ariel's about 70 pounds but um that's great I was kind of tired of going to the gym and I picked things up I put them down it wasn't that exciting and motivating for me Mm -hmm. um but Ariel's is something I love and in the physical work that I'm doing I'm continuing to set free um, some of the trauma and releasing some of that grief because it's in the physical action of using your body that you're able to process things that you can't just by sitting on a couch and thinking about them. Because, like, by all means, talk therapy is really valuable, but there are some things that maybe you can't put words to to heal, that words aren't required for the healing. It's the moving mm-hmm. or the time in nature. Um, and, so, and I've seen, didn't mean to cut you off, but I've seen your, your aerials videos and everything. And the progression is the one thing that's pretty cool. Because you're like, I remember when you said, oh, I'm doing uh, these, these um, what do you call them? The, the silk things where you're like hanging upside down and I thought it was um, aerial yoga 
you know. I, and yeah, I was doing just the yoga at first because yeah. I wasn't strong enough to do like but the you drops. Could, but and... you could see that. And not to say, not I'm not downing or anything or saying anything bad, but you could see that. Like, oh, you weren't strong enough to get up there and you were like, you were almost labored, you know. And then, you know, after that, it was like, okay, you got that down. It was getting easier. And... And then you started doing the, um, what do you call it, hammock? Or, hammock. Yeah. So hammock. the two, you know, you're flipping upside down. You're wrapping your legs into the silk, you know. Uh, doing like, drops. Yeah, doing stuff. drops. And I'm like, that's so cool, man. That's like, pro- I, was, I was almost like, damn, I'm really proud of you for the progression. And, and you can see. But the one thing that was very um, apparent was your smile you would smile like after everything and it was just like yeah i did it that to me is that's great because it shows you know again progress it shows commitment and it also shows that you're just moving forward you are getting past a lot of the things that are these difficult hurdles and you know like you said the traumas that are bothering you and that are really you know kicking your butt Fighting back. Fighting back, yeah. yeah. I mean... That's all we can do, you it, know, is find these different things that work. Maybe maybe in 10 years, aerials won't work for me anymore. Maybe I'll have to go look at flashing lights again. But <laughs> uh, Maybe you have to go to hit the range. You have yeah. to do something, you know. Um, I'll have to come back and see you sit in the chair. Some more ink therapy, you know, getting, yeah. that, getting that piece that's going to be... Um, yeah, and, and who knows? I mean... We're always evolving. We're always getting better. We're always doing stuff that, you know, again, I had thought about doing this, doing Beyond the Ink, and and for almost two years before I actually pulled the trigger, like a year and a half before I actually pulled the trigger. And it was my partner, Austin, um, who, you know, we're, we're talking 20-some-odd-year age difference, and I was tattooing him, and he was telling me, you know, a bunch of stuff, and I, I've said it on you know, other episodes, but it was that little, that push, you know, that you always need someone to give you that little nudge. And for me, if I do something, I'm like, I'm doing it full. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, I teach my sons this, don't half-ass anything, man. Full ass. (laughs) Gotta go, you know, and it sounds funny, but it's like, it makes a lot of sense when, you know, you're doing, when you're just, putting everything into it and I did and I again like I said in the beginning of this episode I put everything into this and I still didn't feel that uh that I was doing the right thing or I was heading in the right I'm not an interviewer I'm not a I didn't go to school for any broadcasting I didn't go to I just have a passion for art and for sharing amazing stories amazing stories of perseverance leading to triumph and and overcoming a lot of these things that would cripple most people and and it does it'll cripple you for a little bit and i want to share that i want to let other people know that you might be going this you might need some of this help you might be going through the same things um you know, again, for the longest time, I didn't talk about my own depression. I didn't talk about things that uh, 
bother me. You know, I will eventually, you know, little by little, baby steps, if you will, you know. <laughs> and, and like I said before, I used to consider myself an open book. Like, oh, yeah, I can say anything, tell anybody anything. And I realized that after doing this and meeting you and meeting a lot of people, like, fuck, I'm really closed off. Like, and, and I know from my own past traumas that I would build a wall. I used to call myself Great Wall of China because I would build those walls and nobody could knock them down. And then when somebody would knock them down, I was like, okay, maybe I'm starting to, you know, be okay with this. And something would happen where it would trigger, you know, that little red light would go off, you know, watch out. And it was like, do, 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 <laughs> you know, yeah. like my name should have been Mason, not fucking Matt. <laughs> Because I can build a wall faster than like <laughs> yeah. anybody's, bit, you know. But as soon as you you take them down, you're able to put them I right see, back up, oh, like in a God. heartbeat. Like, and oh, I know how I took those down. I, I put do. those bricks down very I, carefully. I do, and and uh, you know, again, I don't want to. I don't really want to make this, you know, about me. And this show is not about me. It's about my clients and about their perspective and their stories and why. I get up in the morning to do this and I thoroughly believe that it helps people with their traumas, you know, and it I'm does. learning through other people and by, again, sharing it with you fine folks, um, helps out as well, you know, and there's just no way around it. I mean, you know. No, I remember when I watched that episode with Keith and I was like, oh my God, because there were things that he said where I was like, he gets it. Yes. And, but at the same time, I was like, you know, from from my side of it, I'm like, well, I've got, but I've got civilian PTSD, and people don't think of that as, like, real PTSD. Um, and so there was, like, all of my own fear where I was like, oh, God, should I even write? But I came, and after I sat in your chair, it was, like, a week after that I wrote out my Al-Anon story because I was going to go get my one-year chip in Al-Anon. Mm -hmm. And I had... I, I wrote this story and I, I was proud because it, it showed a progression of like how far I'd come and I was so grateful for the experience with you and grateful for, you know, seeing beyond the ink and, and getting to have a sense of the tattoo community almost, right? Because yeah. like I'm going through my ink right now and when I see other people with ink, I feel this sense of community, right? It and is. I was like, it is. Hearing other people's stories gave me insight into like what it means to other people into the tattooing community and you embraced me with open arms. And I was like, I'm just going to go out on a limb. I'm going to write him a letter and tell him what it meant to me and share my story. And I'm really glad that I did because... I'm really glad that you did because, again, all 100% honesty, I was on the verge of just pulling the plug crazy as it sounds um and that letter was god it was it was a godsend it was very you know again i said okay doesn't matter what anybody says from this point on i'm going to continue doing this i'm going to love what i do i'm going to continue and if again helps one person great helps more than one person even better and right now I've got clients that are watching this on the East Coast I've got clients that are watching it on the West Coast 
and everywhere in between. I've got a client who watches it in Canada who I'm going to go see her and tattoo her and have her on the, you know, cool. and that's what I think is cool about what I get to do. I get to travel. I get to tell some amazing stories of life and it's from all across the, you know, everywhere. And who knows? Maybe I'll be out in Italy again. Maybe I'll be out and, you know, um, and just, you know, from my little spot in Arizona and, and then some. You know, like, yeah. and, and, I, and I love it and I won't stop doing it. And I do, you know, I thank you for reaching out, you know, um, because most people don't. And everybody that I've told the story to, you know, um, I said the, the thing was, and I stressed the most was she wrote me a hand page letter. Like it was a handwritten letter, hand page, hand, handwritten did I get you know. to tell you a little bit about why I do handwritten? No, uh-uh. Or why I do letters? No, Why uh-uh. I do snail mail? No. Because, you know, in the day and age, right, I could have just sent an email. You could have just, yeah, absolutely. Um, so actually, uh, after Pat died, um, and I met Mark, and we started to be a thing, um, Mark and I navigated over to Widow Forums, because that's also another forum community. Uh-huh. And I made friends with widows all over the country, all over the world. That's awesome. Um, and something that you might not think about, but if you've lost someone, then you can relate, is um, after your spouse or someone you love dies, mail keeps coming. Credit card applications, junk yes. mail, yes. right? And going out and checking your mail can get really depressing, where it's like, oh, cool. Um, or, you know, you're getting bills, like in my mm. case, right? Mm-hmm. Um Pat didn't have any life insurance, so there were bills. Yeah. It sucked. So, like, going out to the mailbox became this, like, horrible thing. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, after Pat died, I'm not going to say that life was easy. It was really hard. Um, and I'm one of those people that it was a lot easier for me to try and stay upbeat and positive. Um, doing things for other people made me feel good. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say it came totally out of a selfless part of it was selfish because I felt good doing it. <laughs> hey, that's but, fine. But um, I got the addresses of a lot of my widowed friends mm-hmm. and started writing them letters so that when they would go out to check their mail, they would find something that would make their day yeah. instead of just being depressed. And the that's positive amazing. responses that I got from people where they were like, oh, my God, like your letter came on a day where I didn't know how I was going to get through the day. Um, I heard that enough times that I realized there was something really special to that. Um, there's something about the physicality of someone taking the time to write out by hand that you can see, right? Yeah. after you've lost someone too, right, like my most treasured things are my letters. Yes. The letters and cards I have from my husband, from my nana, from a lot of people in my life, from my friends telling me, you know, that they love me. Um those words, those messages of love are more meaningful than any pair of sneakers that I own. Um, Yeah. So. Because it's valuable and it's value that there's no, you know, monetary. It's like you can't replace that. Yeah. Yeah. And that lives on forever. Even after they're gone, you've still got that paper or that card or whatever. Yeah. And so that's why I take the time to write them out and put it in the mailbox instead of an email. I do that with my son. You know, he's in the military and, and yeah. 
I think that even when he was at boot camp, I wrote him letters. I'm like handwritten. Aww. Because I'm like, you will take these rather than if I emailed them to you or typed it up or whatever. Yeah. Like, and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that form of communication, but. There's something special. There is something special. My grandfather used to write me letters and I used to love getting those letters. And yeah. it was just like, God, you it's know. It's an art form in and of itself. It is because, again, like you said, someone took that time to care enough to write you that letter, just to sit down, piece of paper, write it out. Well, and handwriting is is like it's, a like a brushstroke, right? Yeah. Like there's everybody's got their own mm -hmm. style of writing, the way yep. that they word things, the yep. way you know maybe they do an XO or a heart next to their signature. Their or little, whatever. their little, their little signature, their little nuances and and yeah. just that's their flair and you'll never forget somebody when they wrote when they write you something and yeah. i i think that's fantastic i think people should write more people i know it sounds funny but hey it's the 20s fuck it yeah start writing again roaring, man. 20s, roaring 20s man bring back hey, the handwritten letter bring back the handwritten letter bring back respect <laughs> it can be really hard right because we're animals Correct. We like to think of ourselves as being like so much more evolved. We than like to think of ourselves as being so significant, like yeah. but, in this world. <laughs> yeah. But like, bottom line, we're just animals with really complicated emotions trying to survive, and we live in this super complicated world that allows for so much isolation and complexity that is not our norm, right? Like, yeah. We now live in high rises with air conditioning and can have, you know, our groceries delivered. Yeah. When, like, uh, let's, the better part of human history, we had to, like, go out and hunt for food. So mm -hmm. that transition, we're in, like, this very new phase of humanity that's kind of like an experiment, right? Where we're all, like, living behind these, like, fancy boxes with screens separated from each other. Yeah. And it's not necessarily natural but we've designed this world and we're stuck in it but so it can get really easy to isolate yourself so it's good to find ways whether it's a letter or even you know what use use the technology in a positive way like your friend is with a text to open up that sense of community that sense of communication to help break down some of that isolation because you know scrolling on social media isn't the same thing as having a conversation one-on-one -on -one with someone. Correct. You know, like, it's it's different. Um, and when you are struggling with feelings of depression or anxiety or, or just struggling with life, because, hey, life's hard, um, having that sense of another human, another person cares about me, even if I'm struggling is so meaningful you yeah. know um sometimes even just a smile you know like that can be the difference between a good day or a crappy day is making eye contact with someone and really having that like genuine human connection for a minute yeah i like to at least give compliments to 10 people a day at least 10 people and everybody knows me i'm i'm i compliment people i will tell you you know hey you look very nice today you know i will tell you I hope you have a great day. I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope you have, um, you know, because you don't know someone's struggle. You don't know that you might be the only person that day in a day of just pure shit. And you made them feel great for that, you know, 
a smile. Uh, how are you? How's your day? You know, you'd be surprised how many times I've asked, you know, the person at the gas station or the, you know, uh, um, one of the attendants that at the, you know, at the store, um, why well, say supermarket, but you know, I'm old. Um, <laughs> and I'll tell them, so how's your day going? How are, how are you today? Yeah. And they say, the look of surprise. <laughs> they, well, first it's like, they're looking down and then they look up and they're like, why would you want to know? Like, cause I'm curious. How was your, how's your day? Well, you have a great day. Thank you. And then they're just like, you know, you have a great day as well, you know? Yeah. Because um, well, we, we get in this, like, mode of transactional, I mm-hmm. feel like, occurrences where we forget, like, we're all just people. Just trying, we're all just, just people trying to survive, yep, man. Yep. It's, it's a struggle. It really is. I, I, I agree. Um, I really do thank you for sitting down and, one, letting me tattoo this meaningful piece. I mean, this is something that you're getting married under, you know, and I did use a lot of the tree, it's major, you know, it's, it's shape, um, to you know, it's not the tree, but it is the tree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's my tree. It's well, your it's, our tree. It's your tree. Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah, the our tree. Um, yeah. Yeah, as Mark likes to say, it's our tree. And you're yeah. like, well, I'm wearing it, but I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, Mark. Mark now is like, I love our tree, and I'm like, well, I think it's a little bit more mine than yours. <laughs> I have a little uh, more it's ownership. Stung, it's stung me a little bit more than you, but. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's our tree. It's representative of, of our future together, of the life that we've chosen to commit to each other, other in Texas. Um, I, you know, speaks to everything that we've built so far and our dreams for the future with each other and our own continued path to healing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I think it's great that you found each other like that. I think it's great that you connected and that you were able to, not move past because you're never going to move past but heal with one another and and being able to you know the similarities and you know how long he was with his wife for he was so mark and i have an age difference Mm -hmm. um he's older than me he and his wife were together a lot longer than me and pat were because he and his wife were together for about 20 years oh wow yeah and um she had four different kinds of cancer mm-hmm. um cheryl was a badass mm-hmm. um she so she had a like a soft tissue type reoccurring tumor in her leg okay and eventually that spread and she had to have a hemoplectomy meaning she had her entire leg removed and a big portion of her hip so oh, wow. she lived um with an amputated leg without um, her leg and part of her hip for a better portion of, let me get this right, do some math in my brain. Sorry, <laughs> total liberal arts major here. Um, <laughs> I have a needle in your leg. Doing math is probably the last thing you would <laughs> I think, I, I want to say it was 15 years that she um, didn't have her leg. So, I mean, it was, it was a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, though, so she lost her leg. She then also had a struggle with breast cancer. So she had a double mastectomy. And then she, um, when they had taken her leg, they did radiation. 
Mm -hmm. And the radiation to at the top where they took the leg eventually turned into colon cancer, which oh then metastasized to ovarian cancer. Oh my so, I mean, they had a, they had a really um, full plate together. And, you know, he would say that his time, because um, he was a Navy corpsman, so his training in that sense was a blessing because he was able to really um, be a caregiver at home that was more than your average caregiver. Yeah. Um, so they went through a lot, but the cool thing about us both being widowed is that if he talks about her, there's, there's, um, a very strong sense of respect. Mm -hmm. Um, I can never fully understand cause I didn't lose Cheryl what he went through, but I have an idea and it just makes me love and respect the person that he is. Cause it, it yeah. takes a certain kind of person to be able to um, go through something that lasts that long and that's that, you know, um, intense. Yeah. Um, but if I wasn't ever, you know, widowed or married before there, I could see how it could easily evolve into like jealousy or insecurity, but that's really not what it is. Like we've had moments where we've been having a really great time and we've looked at each other and been like, God, I wish they would be here. They could be here with us. Yeah. And we both genuinely mean it. And then, of course, it evolves into a joke of, except then Pat would have to punch you in the face and Cheryl would probably <laughs> crutch me. Um, but um, That's funny. We're, we're able to hold space for each other because there's times where, you know, it's still just going to hurt. It's still just, you got to feel the ick. You do. You, you got to just feel the ick for a minute and it'll pass. Um, so to anyone out there that's feeling the ick right now, that's fresh in your grief, um, it doesn't go away, but it changes. It, it's kind of like w a wave, you know, you, sometimes you're like riding high and then sometimes it takes your breath away and you feel like you're struggling for air, but, um, just crashes down on you. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you again. I've said that, I don't know how many times, thank you for allowing me to do this and to and for sitting here under the whole needles and you know talking about life and this your your struggles and your just overcoming everything you know and and still working through it you know um that's what this is about that's what this program is about not focusing on the negatives it's fo focusing on the positives that are coming from a negative situation, you know, and by helping, you know, using a little tattoo therapy to help out and, and get that dialogue going. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't thank you enough um, for many reasons again. Um, and for you, if you guys are still with us, go ahead and comment down below. If you, if you share it, um, that would be wonderful. If you, smash the hell out of that subscribe button even better find us on social media again i'll put some links down below if you are in need of some help talk to somebody there's plenty of people that and professionals that again we'll put some links down below and um it will be worth it you know you, you don't go through this stuff alone <laughs> um yeah so, again, I'm Matt Valdez. This is Mara Pitcher. Pitcher? Pitcher. I always say Priya. So, like, Pitcher. I, 
Added an R. I, I like to joke, and I'm like, it, depending on your mood, it's is a it pitcher. baseball pitcher or a margarita pitcher? It depends on that's, your mood for the day. That's a good way to do it. Um, but again, thank you very much for sitting with me and uh, letting me stab you. And I hope you love this. And I hope it looks it looks great in the wedding pictures or the the um, engagement photos. So yeah. I was very happy. She tagged me in that. I which did. Was pretty damn cool. Did um, the whole like makeup and hair and then tattoo tattoo by this guy yeah so it was pretty cool um yeah so i look forward to doing more with your uh art and areas that we're gonna work on next oh i've got goals i'll be back maybe i'll be back for another episode hey we'll do it again you know so that'd be cool um i'm at valdez from dallas texas i thank you for watching again Like button, share it, tell your friends, be on the ink. I will see you guys later. Bye.